The word of our Lord from the Gospel of Mark. Now Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and another for Elijah. He did not know what to say, and they were all greatly afraid. A cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. Now, as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one of the things that they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising of the dead meant. And they asked him, saying, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus answered and told them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how it is written concerning the Son of Man, that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I say to you that Elijah has indeed already come. And they did to him whatever they wished, as it was written of him. Let's pray. Almighty God, whose only Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, was lifted high upon the cross, that He might draw the whole world to Himself. Mercifully grant that we, who glory in the mystery of our redemption, may have grace to take up our cross and to follow Him, who lives and reigns with You and the Holy Spirit, one God, in glory everlasting. Amen. We've been talking about how the cross is able to shape our lives. It's able to shape the way we love. It's able to shape how we understand ourselves. It's able to shape the way that we live. But it's also able to shape this morning as we begin to look our understanding of glory and our understanding of of majesty and brilliance. Here in the gospel... We have the story of the mountain of transfiguration and we're told that this, these three disciples who were the closest to Jesus, you could refer to them as the inner circle or the inner ring, his closest of friends, Peter, James, and John, James and John being brothers of one another. They are brought with Jesus to a mountain. One of the other gospel writers tells us that they were up there and they were growing tired and you kind of have this Garden of Gethsemane type feeling where, where they're, they're unable to stay alert and stay awake and suddenly they're amazed by what they see. But the gospel writer tells us that, that Jesus is transfigured before their eyes. He begins to turn bleach white, as white as snow, Mark tells us. His garments are whiter than any launderer could possibly get them. And He is brilliant. He is glowing. He is shining. It's interesting that He tells us that Elijah and Moses come to meet with Jesus and begin to speak with Jesus because 
if you're like me, you kind of have that, that image in your mind of, of Moses when he was up on the mountain meeting with God and how God's glory descended in the form of a cloud and how the people could hear down at the foot of the cloud all that was going on. They could hear rumblings. And when Moses descended down from the cloud, he, he was brilliant. His face was glowing. He was shining. And you remember the people asked Moses, said, we can't look at you like this. Please, cover yourself with a veil. And so Moses wore a veil as that glory that shone in his face was passing away. In the transfiguration, we've got a mysterious and, and if you'll allow me to use the, the word, a wild story. Jesus on a mountain and He's transfigured. He begins to shine. He begins to shine with glory that the disciples up to this point had not seen. And so what you have in the transfiguration and all the mystery that is it is, is a pulling back of the veil as though God is allowing us to peek in and to see something. That it, you've got a pulling back of the veil that hides the majesty of Christ. And the disciples, these three, Peter, James, and John, they were able to see Jesus in all of His brilliance, in all of His radiance, in all of His majesty, because the veil is being pulled back just a bit. But also the veil that's being pulled back just a bit is the veil that rests between heaven and earth. Because here all of a sudden you've got two men, Moses and Elijah, who, are, who have been long dead, dead for centuries. And here they are meeting with Jesus and speaking with Jesus. And another gospel writer tells us that they are talking to Jesus about His becoming deceased. They're talking to Him about the cross. They're talking to Him about what lies ahead. And His face is shining with brilliance. The disciples don't know what to do. They don't know what to make of all this. As this veil is being pulled back in the transfiguration, they, they're, they're not sure what to think. And so in their not being sure what to think, Peter, as is customary for him, he blurts out just whatever comes to his mind. Hey, Lord, it's, it's pretty good for us to be here. We ought to build some tabernacles. Maybe three of them. Perhaps one for you, one for Moses here, and one for Elijah. You know, the tabernacle in the Old Testament was always the place where heaven and earth met. It was the place where heaven and earth were intersecting. It was, it was, it was kind of like that veil that separated heaven and earth. It was where these two realities were overlapping. And here as the disciples catch a glimpse of eternity, as they peer in on Moses and Elijah and their conversation with Jesus, as they discuss what is to come, the disciples are, are, are amazed by the glory. They are amazed by what they see as this veil is being pulled back and as this glory is being glimpsed. When we think of the transfiguration, we can't help but think of glory, but we also can't help but think of, of, um, of beauty. We have a beautiful, beautiful image of Jesus glowing with radiance, 
The veil is pulled back. Eternity is being glimpsed. Jesus' majesty is shining. Heaven and earth are, are seen as interlocking and overlapping. In a sense, you have heaven descending to earth in this moment of transfiguration. But in another sense, you have the, the veil being pulled back from the disciples' eyes to glimpse that, that heaven is here. That Jesus has brought heaven. And so the cloud descends and the voice speaks out. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Another image that ought to take our minds back to Jesus' baptism. The voice from heaven. My beloved son. As God the Father calls us to hear the words of of Jesus. I mentioned we can't help but think of glory when we think of the transfiguration, but we can't also help but think of beauty. You've heard me talk before of um, the three transcendental virtues, truth, goodness, and beauty. And you have one on full display here as Jesus is transfigured before the eyes of the disciple. They catch a glimpse of how beautiful His majesty is and how beautiful is the glory of eternal heaven. You know, in our culture, in many ways, we've gotten away from an appreciation of beauty. We are surrounded by things that are simply not beautiful. We are surrounded by gore. We're surrounded by violence. We're surrounded by despair. We're surrounded by envy and by spite. Things that in plain terms are just plain ugly. Very few people celebrate beauty anymore. Very few of us spend much time outdoors in natural beauty. Very few of us go to art galleries anymore. We are inundated in our culture with things that are simply ugly. Because we've gotten away from beauty. But God is the origin of all things beautiful. That the, James said in his epistle that every good and perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights with, with whom there is no shadow of turning. All good things come from Him. That's why truth, goodness, and beauty are spoken of as the transcendentals. Those things that are, that are from a higher plane. And everything that is true is, is from God's truth. Everything that is good is from God's goodness. Everything that is beautiful is from God's beauty. For He is the, the origin or the, the archetype of all things true, good, and beautiful. In the transfiguration, we've got this glimpse of glory as it intersects with beauty. And the amazing thing is that there's no greater beauty in life than love. There is no greater beauty than love. 
You'll never see anything more beautiful than love. Self-giving, self-surrendering love. And as Jesus told His disciples on the night of His betrayal, I believe in the passage that David read last week, there's no greater love than sacrifice. Love hath no greater man than this, that, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. There's something glorious about, um, about some war movies. I won't say all war movies because some are a little less glorious than others. But you know, there's something, there's something glorious about seeing the type of brotherly love that will surrender life for another. There's something beautiful in that sacrifice. There's something beautiful in that surrender. And as we have the story of the, the mountain of transfiguration, you cannot separate the beauty of this story from the sacrifice that is found in the story. Because the mountain of transfiguration is all within the context of the cross. Jesus has been telling His disciples that He is going to suffer. He has been telling them that He will be betrayed. He has been telling them that a cross awaits Him. And in the passages that follow in the Gospel, Jesus will continue telling them. He will continue reminding them. He will continue telling them, we're headed to Jerusalem, and when we get to Jerusalem, the Son of Man will be betrayed, and He will be taken from you. And He will suffer many things, and He will die, but He will rise again after the third day. It's, it's funny how perplexing it is to Peter, James, and John when Jesus says, shh, 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 be sure you tell no one until I've risen from the dead. And they scratch their heads and think, probably a, a bit out loud, what was he talking about rising from the dead? That, that would mean he would have to die first, and that's just not going to happen, right? But Jesus has been telling His disciples and will go on telling His disciples that He will taste the cruelty of hate and resentment. That He will taste the cruelty of man's lostness and sinfulness. They asked Jesus, why do people say that, that, that Elijah has to come before the Messiah? And He tells them, oh, well, Elijah will come. But indeed, He's already come. And they did with Him whatever they wished. The other Gospel writers tell us explicitly he was talking about John the Baptist, how he came in the spirit and power of Elijah and how he was taken and was beheaded because he stood up for righteousness and justice. But Elijah and Moses here, they come and they meet Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and they discuss with him what is to come. of how He will taste that cruelty of human hate and resentment. But the cross tells us that in Jesus tasting our cruelty, He is able to absorb into Himself human lostness. He is able to take into Himself our hate, 
our rebellion, our spitefulness. He takes it into Himself and heals it. But sacrifice is not just something that awaited Jesus. Because in the passage that immediately precedes this one, Jesus tells His disciples, if anyone would wish to follow after Me, let him come and take up his cross first. Jesus invites us to the cross. He invites us to the cross to come and to see His great sacrifice for our sakes. But He comes. He invites us to come to the cross as well. For there is a cross that awaits us that we must bear. And that cross is not just inconvenience. You know, we speak very poorly when we speak of you know, a headache being a cross we have to bear. Or misfortune in life just being our cross to bear. That's not what the cross is. The cross is about judgment. It is about rejection. It is about hate. And Jesus invites us to come to take up our cross. To follow Him where He goes. There is a cross that lies before us. And we are invited to embrace that cross, which is indeed a thing of beauty, but is also a thing of sacrifice. Jesus spoke of the cross as His moment of glory. On the night that He was betrayed, He prayed to the Father, Glorify Me with that glory that I've enjoyed with you in eternity. John in his Gospel tells us that when that night of Passover came, that it was now time for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus' greatest glory is in giving Himself away. For in giving Himself away, in sacrificing Himself, in offering Himself for the sake of the world, you have the greatest possible image of beauty. Self-giving love. Transfiguration in all of its cloud of mystery, is a foreshadowing of that great moment of glory where the Son of Man will ascend a hill and where His majesty will shine brightest. It was when Jesus gave up His Spirit to the Father that the soldier at the cross said, indeed, this was the Son of God. It's in that moment of utter self-giving, it is in that moment of utter self-sacrifice and self-surrender 
that you have the greatest of clarity. And the cross lies before us. As we give ourselves away in love to others, we are called to sacrifice ourselves for their sakes. We're called like Jesus to take into ourselves their hate. And in doing that, we are enabled to reflect the glory of Christ in the beauty of self-giving love. May we give ourselves away. May we surrender ourselves. May we sacrifice ourselves for the sake of others. May we sacrifice of our time and of our energy, of our efforts. May we sacrifice our words for others. May we speak grace into their lives. May we reflect the beauty of loving another person. In order to do that, the veils must be lifted from our eyes to see the cross that is before us. And the veils must be lifted from us so that we're not living lives before others that are veiled and cloaked. But instead are living lives where others can see Jesus in us, can see His majesty, can see how heaven has come into our earth and has changed it. May we live with an idea of glory that is not just something that is high and lifted up and great and grand, but an idea of glory that is something so beautiful that it gives itself away in love. Because the cross is not far off. And the cross will give way to redemption. And if we will embrace the cross in our lives, then God through us will afford others the possibility of finding redemption. Let's pray.